Hello everyone. It's Cooper Millen and I'm in the university library so I have to use this robot voice because it is much quieter. Please enjoy the conversation I had with my dear friend, Brokel Alperson. This is part one of a two-parter, today's track was left behind by the band Boy Food. Check them out at boyfood.bandcamp.com. Submissions are open for Dreyfus 7, an art and music festival in beautiful downtown Billings, Montana. Submissions are open until March 1st. More information can be found at www.wis-division.org. Follow my new art page on Instagram, Rusty Fleece. I've been working on a lot of cool things lately. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Broccoli Elbart Man's son. Waste, 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 waste. Box. Appendix. Okay, so. King of the hill. I, intro. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, this is the perfect time to open a beer as I'm <laughs> saying something in the beginning. Um, okay, we we talked plenty before the podcast, but I want to go back to. Wait, we weren't we weren't recording that whole time. I actually was. I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, that's unethical. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't taken a journalist class, so I don't know. I think that might be an out for me. Okay, I noticed that you had Ayn Rand on your. Uh, I know. I, I want to jump right back. I know because right I want to get back into it because, um, I, I've read. I almost want to say that I read plenty of her, but I've I've read the anthem. Mm-hmm. Which I think is one of her first ones. It's like her small one. We the Living, which actually was kind of fun. It's like her romantic. It's like a like all of, all of the stuff I've read read from her is fiction, and I almost made it through Atlas Shrug. Okay, but so you you not read the Fountainhead? I've which not is read the, the one I had. Yeah, out here. Are you almost done with it? Is that where your bookmarks oh, at? No, no, no. I actually marked a page. I haven't. I read this probably. I think I was like seventeen. So that was like. Uh, how old am I? That was like <laughs> 15 six, years ago. Six years ago. <laughs> six years ago, yeah. But um, it really impacted me, and a lot of it stuck with me. So. Well, that's the thing. I I I think she's a fantastic writer. I don't care if anybody wants to give me slack on it, because generally when I find that people push back on it, they've never read her. Because mm-hmm. that, that was a big thing we were talking about, is that it's really easy to instantly shit on her and it's because that her ideas have been co-opted by unsavory people which i i mean i think it's fair also though to be aware of her politics and just think uh, I'm, I'm not interested right that's totally <clears throat> fair because going into this as a 17 year old i didn't know who she was i've never heard of her mm-hmm. i just thought it was like a novel yeah yeah same thing when i when i and actually, it was my eighth grade teacher who gave me the anthem. Um, it, like one of those pivotal moments in my life, he, Mr. Hope from St. Francis Intermediary. Shout out, Mr. Hope. I know. I was like, should I say his name? But shout out. He was he was a fantastic human being, and he took me out of class and and actually gave me the anthem, and he also gave me 1984 and Brave New World. Wait, can I ask why did he say why he thought you might like? 
The Anthem, particularly. Well, I remember that those three books were all in a package. And so the whole thing led to, in my mind, it's taken on a much grander quality because I've those three books definitely shaped my life. I feel like what really happened was, it was his English class, and um, I've always really responded to, I mean, English class. Like, back then it was just that, right? Like, just reading mm-hmm. cool books and talking about it. And I really responded cool to that. Books. Right, cool books, I know. I know. I'm trying to remember. We, we read Cerno de Bergerac, actually. Oh. And he read it out loud, and he always does, and he always cries when he reads it, which was insane wow. to see. That's Mr. amazing. It was. I mean, as an eighth grade boy, it was like instantly you're like oh, red in the no. face as this giant man cries as he's reading. Cry? It was nuts. He 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 was fantastic. He took me out again. In my memory, it was something like, "You're different. You seem to respond really well to this text. You seem really invested in it. Here are some books that really challenge a reader's thinking." And I think mm-hmm. you'd like them. That's what we're talking about, too, is like how it's yeah. it's a challenging... It challenges your ideas about... Oh, as as it should be. Again, like, going back to if an unsavory group of people co-opt your ideas, then there's got to be something in your ideas. Right? Like... Oh, for sure. You know, like, it, there's, there's nothing that's out of the bubble that gets taken into a, a nasty bubble. Like... There's probably tons of examples, like... Louis. Louis, Paper Frog. Remember that? Or if I'm saying that right? <laughs> like, remember that? That's a truly insane story of, like, something that was innocuous being co-opted. It had no... There's was nothing... Was it innocuous? Yeah, I mean, he was not a racist. It was, like, a, I believe it was, it was a webcomic. It's kind of perfect, though, because Pepe became so... Fucking it. Am I allowed to swear? Fuck yeah. Pepe became so fucking annoying, so it was just so perfect. Yeah, right, right, exactly. To have the most annoying group, and annoying is using the lightest, lightest (laughs) word for a hateful group. Yeah. Um, But, like I said, I've had several instances recently where Ayn Rand was brought up. It was instantly scoffed at, which again, probably fine. I'm not a a defender of Ayn Rand. It's so strange though cuz she has such a place in my heart cuz I got her at such a young age and yeah. then learned that what her ideas were and became and I don't even know if I really have them right. I- I'm going to say that I totally have a pop culture idea of what her ideas were. Right, the the Simpsons episode. Right, yes. The very much like hypercapitalist, which she was, I do know that, but again, I, I don't know if I could go, like, super in-depth into her thinking. Um, but it's it's a shame, but I also am totally fine that we wants to read her. Yeah, that's totally fair, but I don't know. It's frustrating because, like we, we were talking about earlier, is that I really loved this book when I read it, and I still feel very fondly toward it, but it's, it seems really shitty yes. of me, for me to say like oh I, I the found is my favorite book <laughs> right, I right. because I don't agree with her politics Mm-mm. but just because I really enjoyed the novel and I, uh, I I don't know I don't know why that assumption is that I subscribe to her politics because I like the book right it's it's that I was going to say age old idea but it's more relevant now than ever because of this all the information we get about individuals, especially those in the spotlight, this idea of the art separated from the artist. 
That's tricky, though, because a lot of the times you really can't. No, because a lot of the times it's predatory behavior that you're having to excuse, i.e. Woody Allen. Louis Louis again. again, Yeah, um, I was almost said Bill Cosby. That's... That's an inexcusable. I I I grew up listening to his comedy albums. Me too. Fuck. That and he, broke hilarious. My heart. Yeah. Oh, devastating blow. I don't know if I'll ever revisit them. Uh, what I do have are the memories of of those albums, and they were very funny, and I liked them because they were very funny. I almost said brilliant, but again, it's this tricky subject of like, can I ascribe that term to a man who's unquestionably a monster? Mm-hmm. But in this case, again, and this is going off of, like, what I remember of Ayn Rand's public life later, she wasn't, she didn't do anything unsavory, she just promoted things, and again, I almost, like, really want to take a deep dive now, like, hopefully she's not just, like, a super terrible eugenist who just talked about, like, breaking races apart and stuff like that. I just remember her being, she's a hyper-capitalist would be the best term, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which is kind of like a violent system. Right, inherently, inherently. oppressive, right. Um, but like I said, having read this as a 17-year-old, and like you said, you read it at a young age. I mean, I didn't know who she was. I, I mean, fuck, it's, there's a lot of really beautiful She's a beautiful writer. Book. Like, I think I was looking back because I really wanted to find this part, and I actually found it before you came. Can I read it? Yes, yes, okay, please. Okay, so... This is from the Fountainhead. It's, um, who is speaking? Rourke is speaking with, um, Wynand. And there, he says, um, When I listen to a symphony I love, I don't get from it what the composer got. His yes was different from mine. He could have no concern for mine and no exact conception of it. That answer is too personal for each man. But in giving himself what he wanted, he gave me a great experience. I'm alone when I design a house, Gail, and you can never know the way in which I own it. But if you said your own amen to it, it's also yours. And I'm glad it's yours. That's he, fucking beautiful, It's right? so beautiful. It is It is touching. It is thoughtful. It's mm. what I express when I experience a piece of art. Um, <clears throat> also, what this makes me think of is... She was a female author at a time when that was very uncommon. And I think she uh, had notoriety and fame at the time. So now it's more of a question of she was never not acknowledged. Um, She was acknowledged. Her ideas did take ground. People did read her books. It is now later that she is being sort of pushed aside because of the ideas that we can look back on and say that are not good because it's hard to be like i mean we should upraise her for being a female author right we should promote diversity of ideas and of and of individuals but then there's so many examples of other people of color and females at that time who were doing that and then did Mm -hmm. not get any sort of claim or accreditation um and she just happened to be lucky again because she appealed to a system that in america at the time especially at that time maybe even more so now that promoting America and capitalism was the ticket in. Right. And that is a totally valid reason to not give a shit about Ayn Rand. I don't blame anyone for not caring, but for me personally, it it has a special place. 
it, I mean, the anthem was so much fun as a kid to read because the structure of the anthem is of dystopian society in which it's all commune based and they've eradicated the term and the idea of I. And so it's first person narrative where there's not even a concept of I, and so it's all told in the collective we. That's all he knows how to acknowledge. Mm. So it's all about, like, we went into the store and we bought ice for my house, or for our house. And then he he escapes and finds an old cottage left over from whatever long-ago revolution and discovers the word I, and that's the whole ending and climax of the book, is he learns ego. Exactly, it's a big thing. It's the, the big, I mean, the, the whole ending is just the single word ego, all in caps. Which is a 14 year old was searching for identity. A tattoo idea. A, oh, ooh. <laughs> One that persisted for a couple of years, and unfortunately, I was allowed to get it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I don't know. Ayn Rand's, I was going to say she's tricky, but she's not tricky. It's just very. And we can totally push that aside. Because that's probably where she belongs. Fair enough. I appreciate her as a fiction writer. You know, as you pointed out, like, her fiction is awesome. Yeah, it sh- I mean, you should be allowed to also just leave it at that. Totally. And, and not have to, uh, yeah, I mean, get into the politics of it. It's, if, am I allowed to say that? It's tough, right? It's... In this instance, I'll, I'll allow it as what I'm thinking right but in a lot of instances i it's true that you really can't i think no i i think i and i've I've definitely said separating the art from the artist seriously but the more i think about it i don't think it's excusable um i don't know this is a subject that will be thankfully debated for time immemorial i'm glad this is a discussion that we can have now it's because of the advent of social media and our hyper awareness of individuals' lives, and and also the freedom that people now feel to be able to come out and say when bad things happen. Yeah, not letting things slide. Yeah, nothing should be let slid. <laughs> Thou shall not be let slid. <laughs> the new My one Lord. of the new commandment. <laughs> um, yeah, I I really wanted to talk to you about books and writing. Um, because I, you, we've known each other for a long time now. Yeah. Which is crazy to think because it doesn't feel like that. But I think we met when we were both in high school. Which again, realistically not that long ago. It, yeah. I mean, let's, let's see. I think I was probably like 16. I was 17 and I graduated in 2012. Because I think we met the, my senior year. Four, five, six. That's like seven years, bro. Yeah. Seven years. Whoa. We'll, we'll chink, chinks to that. Um, and you've always been an avid reader. Oh. I think so, because it's, it's funny thinking back on my relationship with people, because I always, I've been a reader for my entire life. And so I can never remember if I force <laughs> my own reading on other people and have memories of like, oh, we used to always talk about books. They're like, like no, you talked you at did. me about <laughs> books, <laughs> but you, but you, you, you have always appreciated, and we've. I mean, I remember having great. Again, this goes back to like maybe I remember having conversations at you about no, books. That's that's true. It's just you know it's hard to feel like that lately because being a college student, 
I guess I am reading a lot still, but it's, uh, it's not like reading, sitting down and reading a book, you know. It's, it's like, not pleasure reading. No, it's like reading some chapters from a book one week and then the next week. It's like reading 20 books in like however many weeks a semester is. Right. It doesn't feel like I really read any of them. Which is so crazy to me because the vast majority of people don't read, period. And so it's funny when we make these distinctions of like, I'm in school and I'm reading all these textbooks, but I'm really not reading. Because I think I, I look at reading now like a muscle. Um, oh, totally. So you have to work it out. Like you you have to, and when people who fell out of reading, I tell them like, it's going to hurt for the first couple of weeks because it is, I, I truly think it's a muscle you have to work on and get better at. Um, mm-hmm. You don't want to start with too big a weight either. No, yeah, yeah, and so, but I think of college reading textbooks like when you have to do. Um, I'm trying to think. I I really hope that I could have pulled out like an awesome weightlifting metaphor to show how much of a gym rat I am. But I'm a not a gym rat, and b could not pull up a good metaphor. But it's doing a <laughs> shitty exercise that you don't like to do, but you're still doing it. Burpees? Yeah, it's like doing... It's do like people still do burpees? Yeah, I think burpees are still in. I think I think burpees are in. It's like having to do a thousand burpees a day. Oh my god, kill me. Just to achieve a goal. Where it's yeah, terrible, but you're still doing it. You're still exercising. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it is just like, I have to read this. Which, even if it is something that I would really like to read or that I would enjoy, the fact that it is an assignment... Mm-hmm just kind of takes some of that joy away from it. It makes it less enjoyable just by yeah. it being due. Required work. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. It sucks. It does suck. I'm I'm just getting back into school and most of my texts I have to read because I'm doing, you know, this heavily science-based curriculum now. So they're like textbooks. They're textbooks. Oh. But I'm taking this one careers in biology class or careers in wildlife biology and we're reading uh, Leopold Aldo's San County Almanac. I had to read that in... Wait, what class is it? Uh, careers in Wildlife Biology. Oh, I took Wildlife and People. Got an F. Oof. My first F in college. <laughs> um, but I did read that book also. It's a beautiful book. And yeah. I, I... But I totally get what you're saying because I can see the beauty within it. But it is one of those things of like, I have to get through this chapter. Um, and it's it's work. It's now like, uh, there's a deadline. There's a due date. But I highly recommend that book. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's so it's so much fun. It it just shows I think what people who otherwise really wouldn't know where to start thinking about the natural world, especially now it's more more of an issue, conservation, sustainability, stuff like that. I think that's a super fun gateway into that sort of thinking. Because if you mm-hmm. remember that first part of the book is just him uh, living on his Wisconsin <laughs> sand farm. Freshman year, but <laughs> do not remember that. <laughs> it's been misplaced with all the other books you've been required to read. Um, it, which it, it's a it's a really fun look at his year spent on this sand farm, and so it's just full of really beautiful okay, right. poetic passages. And then later, it is it's poetic, yeah. it is it, that first part is purely poetic, and then later on in the book, it's where he gets into his idea of policies and in conservation and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there anything you're reading right now for pleasure? No, nothing. Well, so I mean, I, in my courses. Especially one of the courses I'm in right now, which is um, African and Caribbean women authors. is That's a whole course? So, That's awesome. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's really cool, but it's so 
text heavy. Mm-hmm. We're reading so many books, and it's hard for me to keep up, honestly. So right now, I'm not really pleasure reading, except for, actually, I got this as a gift for someone, but I am kind of looking at this too. I know you're a comic guy. Oh, wow. But um, this is super beautiful. This is um, Susceptible by Genevieve Castre. You can't see this, listeners, whoever's out there, but yeah, it's this is gorgeous. not really, I, I guess, great to share on a podcast because um, <laughs> most of it is like very beautiful. Oh wow! Illustration, but mm-hmm. also it, um, it's really beautifully written. Like th- there is a lot of writing, as you can see. Like, yeah, it's. Um, I don't know if you've looked into Jimmy Corrigan at all. Hmm. That. I gave you. Oh yes, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, they're both kind of about really tragic childhoods, and um, I love that because there is such a misconception on comics um, that I desperately tried to shout from the mountaintops. So there, there's so much depth to graphic novels. There's always been. I'm not gonna sit here and say. Now more than ever, I hate that term. Since graphic novels have been a thing, people have really like tackled really serious and deep issues, and they just happen to use this text with graphic. Yeah, there's something about it there being pictures. Yeah, makes it not be taken seriously. Oh, which is so uh, totally silly. right. And then you couple that with most people's um, um, experience with comics being like the Sunday funnies. And the funnies in the paper. Oh, cool. <laughs> I actually, where, where I think I was in one of the coffee shops here in Missoula, and I saw an older man reading the Sunday funnies. He was alone. He's drinking a cup of coffee, and at one point, he nods his head and just he just taps the paper and just goes, mm, "Yes." And I wanted to walk up to him and be like, like peek over his shoulder, like, "What made you like?" Yes, <laughs> you hit that on the head. Totally share those feelings. This, <laughs> I wish like, oh, it was it. I remember <laughs> being a teen. <laughs> I, because there, there's, there's so many beautiful graphic novels that have made me, I, I mean, cry. Which oh, Jimmy Corgan made me weep like a uh, little babe. Good, I cannot wait. It's a thick book, mm-hmm. and his his art is really unique. Because it looks, um, at first glance, it almost looks just uh, like computer generated, like it would be like stills it's from weird. a comic. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's really strange to try to describe because it almost looks like it's stills from an anime, animated movie. Which you could say that about any comic. So I'm not sure how it, it's it's it is really kind of it looks very computer based, and it's because of yeah. the way he also frames it and how They're they all like sit on the page. Diaphragm like almost. Yes. Like, what's what am I thinking of? Like instruction yes type, like totally like what you'd find on like the airplane that. right like the emergency yeah, yeah. airplane uh brochures okay, d- yeah diaphragm. um i love i mean i've there's so many beautiful ones about um this woman wrote one about her going through cancer um this woman wrote one that i and again i cannot remember their names or the names of these graphic novels i'll have to find them and send them to you this woman uh was pregnant with her child and they found that the child had down syndrome and so it's her whole experience from that information to about when the child's 13. I believe her name is Beth, the child. Um, and it's her really honest and at times uncomfortable um, life living with a child with Down syndrome. And it's super beautiful. Wow. Um, and I could go on and on about, like, p- 
people have tackled some really amazing things the graphic novels and the ability to use graphics i think gets the point across more efficiently yeah it's just different i mean the illustrations add so much they can have i mean a lot of the scenes there aren't aren't any um isn't any dialogue even it's just different i guess Um, well it's really fun to see how an author chooses to illustrate or show the reader a situation how they even perceive themselves by the way they draw themselves if it happens to be autobiographical or something yeah like um have you read fun home by is that by um um, allison bechdel of like the bechdel test yeah yeah, oh really she she came up with the bechdel test um which actually is totally escapes my mind right now what the the bechdel test is oh yeah yeah. oh for the Sorry, you go. This is the point of the big tall desk. I just like interrupted you to try to explain <laughs> it to you. No, no, it's um, I think it, it was originally meant to be applied to books, but people apply to film now also. But it's just um, I think there are three criteria. It, one is is the character or no? Um, are there two women characters? that speak to each other about something other than a man mm-hmm. are they named oh no yeah the first one is are there more than one mm-hmm. women characters do they speak to each other about something other than something that relates to a male character and do they have names oh my god and you, it's kind of like weird once you have that frame right to look through like all the shit you love that does not pass that test. Right. That's why I said, oh my God. Because just going through, yeah, exactly. All the things I've cherished and upheld yeah. is like pieces of art realizing that either the, yeah, the female's not even named or right. their conversation is just about guys. It's very common. And not that like every piece of media has to be like women centric. Right, right. But like, <laughs> yeah, it's just oh. kind of shocking once you look at it that way. Especially if it's unintentional. Because that. The intentionality of it's fun, right? Because that makes me think of Grapes of Wrath, where mm-hmm. or not not Grapes of Wrath, um, of Mice and Men, where one of the female characters, I think maybe the only female character that we meet, is only ever referred to as Curly's wife. Yeah, you know, yeah. a beautiful example of the author removing this person's identity, but the whole point of her character is struggling to find identity within this world of men. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually it just ends up in her own death, right? Because if I remember the book correctly, um, <laughs> she's referred to by men as hussies because she's, like, always dressed up, always looking beautiful because it's just, again, she's in this world of harshness and trying to find her own slice of beauty and she has a husband Wait, to pay attention to her. she's not a prostitute, right? No, I'm, no. I'm confusing Steinbeck. Yeah, I think you're thinking of East of Eden. Yeah, okay, Yes, okay, yes. Okay, with, anyway. With, whew, one of the craziest antagonists I've ever read. Oh no, last time we had a conversation I know, that's right, we did. <laughs> did not. Uh, yeah, I think you said that she was your no. favorite human being to have ever existed. That <laughs> is No, not I'm, true. I'm totally, I'm lying, I'm complaining. Um, well, well, anyway, um, we were making a point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a, that's a, that was a really fun way of using the and this is so weird to say, but the removal of a woman's identity. Yeah, it had to have been intentional. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think he accidentally just didn't give her a name. Well, yeah, I could think of, like, Rose? No. <laughs> it doesn't work. No, because it, it, um, it makes her plight that, sh- that much more tragic, which adds to the tragedy of it because she's the one that gets killed, if you remember. Remember, she, right. she's who Lenny hugs too tight, um, essentially. And so... Asen- the main plot point? That's the that, yeah. that's her trajectory, right? Her trajectory is is coming into scenes, making men uncomfortable. Like I remember there being several scenes between um, George, the the more mentally capable one, um, and her, and he actually even warns Lenny, like, "Man, that girl's trouble," because Curly, you know, he remember he kept his hand in a in a glove because he was a boxer and didn't want to ruin it and he was a short man with Napoleon, Napoleon's complex and was just on the verge of violence all the time and so then his wife would go out and hang out with the men and would be very flirtatious um, and and made George uncomfortable and then nobody gave her attention because they were afraid of Curly again another example of this man totally running this woman's life and so she had to seek, seek attention any way she could and it led to her own death to like piss him off to Probably. even get a reaction, right? Like it, it's you read it as this like he's not even giving her attention at all. That she just has to get him mad to receive any sort of attention, mm-hmm. which may be a very male perspective on looking at this. Truthfully, I remember being assigned that book in high school, my sophomore year, and like reading Spark Notes. I don't think I read that one, but I do remember being assigned Grapes of Wrath, and that was probably my favorite book I read in high school. Everyone was, like, all about Gatsby. We read Great Gatsby that year. Yeah, yeah. And everyone was, like, obsessed with it, and I was like, ugh. And then we we read um, Grapes of Wrath, and that was the one that I was, like, down with, but everyone, like, hated. It's, It's such a shame, because I do think there should be required books for kids to read the idea of requiring a book to read almost instantaneously puts it into a negative category for kids and i think grapes of wrath and of mice and men when i was a kid i loved great gatsby i've kind of done done away with it now i think it's a fantastic story i still remember fondly the way that fitzgerald wrote um Though I also have my theories that he never wrote anything, and in fact, it was all Zelda's ideas and Zelda's writings. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> which again is I I want to I want to see a movie about that because their relationship is always described as crazy and insane. There isn't one. There's there's got to be right. There's got to be because I mean there I remember reading a couple of texts. I think one of her biographies came out a couple of years ago. That was pretty big, and in it she describes in her journals scenes in which, um he would like lock her in the the bathroom while he stole her journals yeah didn't she explicitly say that he she wrote for him wrote for him wrote all these ideas that he then used in books and never gave her credit for it um yeah i want to look more into that because at i i don't know if i hear much about fitzgerald anymore um i remember in high school for some reason (laughs) i felt like like maybe it was just assholes like me in coffee shops reading pretentious capital L literature, but it feel like that was ever, what I was everybody reading. And I don't know if I've ever touched a Fitzgerald since high school. 
It's not that interesting. No, but Steinbeck, I constantly go back to yeah. because my God, and that's the shame of Of Mice and Men and Grapes of Wrath. Of Mice and Men, again, suffers from a lack of context and a lack of teaching context. I think because the story plays is very simple and goofy and instantly hateable. But I think it's amazing that an author's able to so capture a male friendship in a time in which it was every man for himself. And I mean man in like the literal sense of man. Like right. not like encompassing women as well. Though there was heart there was strife in women, but his story happens to take place about, you know, uh, itinerant men having to look for work during the Dust Bowl and Depression. And if you look through historical texts and it it literally was every man for himself. So Steinbeck's ability to Sit, write what a friendship would look like in that time I think it's it's so wonderful and it makes the book that much more tragic I mean I don't know how you couldn't be affected by the ending in which a man has to kill the only person he has in this world in order to save him from being killed like what <laughs> you know what I mean the last like maybe it's just me being a dude and being like I've heard theories that War movies get a lot more awards because it's usually men on awards boards who give these awards, and it's because those are like our romance movies. It's the chance mm-hmm. that men can openly share emotions because war causes emotions for men. Yeah. Because you're like brotherhood, like oh my god, it's so sad. But I that that might be what's happening here. Um, in Grapes of Wrath, I've read so many times because it has some of the most beautiful writing, and again more tragic male characters for me to like point blank style like shoot a gun in the air and be like <laughs> yeah we were just talking about that also just it felt so familiar in a way mm-hmm. obviously I, I <laughs> never experienced anything <laughs> quite like the dust bowl right right but just the imagery and like the, the style of writing felt really good for me yes it felt comfortable yeah it, it brought you there it made you be like man the dust bowl was rough wasn't but, it but i mean like western writing yeah we right. were talking about yes. how that's kind of well we, we don't have much culture mm-hmm. um we do live in like a western state that is right. in a lot of ways pretty well it's it's in the soil i mean it's yeah. We're not devoid of culture. I, I I tend to look at, and I've heard so many people, m- many people smarter than me say culture is like taking, or like asking a fish how the water is, right? Like a fish doesn't know that it's in water until you take it out of it. You know, <laughs> DFW reference? <laughs> I was going to bring that up too. Um, and, and so I think that's why me, I won't speak for myself, like hit like those 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 western novels do hit me in a spot that is very familiar mm-hmm. and very comfortable and i also think steinbeck especially in that book captures i mean the heroes of grapes of wrath are the women in that story the men time and time again are shown to be incompetent and irrational and emotional um the the page the matriarch of that of that family um the jode family is the is what's keeping them together and is making them survive this. Um, mm-hmm. Every man in that story makes the wrong decision. And he captures the way that you can't say that it's wrong. 
you know, when you look at it, when you look at all the choices that they make, he does this beautiful thing of framing it where it just seems like a natural progression of story. But if you look out from it, you're like, that's so stupid. Why would you make that decision? Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, I, I haven't read it since. Oh, I suggest high anybody school, to go back. But oh, please. Maybe when yeah. I am. Uh... Ten years from now, I'm school, <laughs> I will go back and check it out. Oh, I know. I, I make an effort now. I, I'm on this sci-fi and fantasy kick. I noticed that, like all, well, most of the waste book choices are yeah. like, sci-fi, which has been super strange because we 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 have a rotation that we go through. It's kind we of each been pick books. Yeah, then... we each pick books. Oh, okay. um, we each pick one book, like and followed one after another, um, and it's kind of been. A coincidence that the last three have been, or we've—I think we've done like four sci-fi books, mm-hmm. which is strange. This one that, we're, that we just did, *The Dispossessed* by Ursula K. Le Guin, is both sci-fi, but also she is an amazing, or she was an amazing writer who did so much with sexuality and gender. Um, What's her name? Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. She is so fun, and she's able to use sci-fi. Because what's really cool about um, a lot of sci-fi's authors take a problem that they're seeing now and diagnose it years and in, you know into the future and say what happens if this problem festers and continues. And what's really fun with Ursula K. Le Guin is she does these kind of ambiguous utopian novels where she's like, I want to see more progressive thought especially in human sexuality and gender. So what does that look like in an alien race? When was it this written? Uh, in the 70s. I believe 1971. The Dispossessed. Oh, yeah, grab one. Um, the Left Hand of Darkness, which is one of her first ones and one of the ones that is considered her masterpiece, deals with an alien race that I believe has no gender. Or they're able to switch. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. It's it's especially now being uh, looked at again, and I really wanna I really wanna read it because I think there's something really fun about writing a genre piece, but using such um, high concept ideas. Yeah, because you, know? you can kind of make the rules. Mm-hmm. And you can do you can, especially with sci-fi, and sometimes it can be really clunky, but you can do that fun thing of making a person look at what they have in a different way you know examples especially in the dispossessed a guy came from a desert moon so he looks at a faucet as being totally wasteful on this like lush planet um again super goofy totally 1970s sci-fi where it's like well, whoa so- man like <laughs> me super relevant though considering oh, yeah. like flint michigan mm-hmm. or even like other countries that don't have the access to water that we do well we live i mean we live in a state that generally doesn't have water all the 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 west the invention of irrigation is like why we have people living in the west incapable of living in the west um we would not be able to have water to supply the people who live here now not just montana but extending all down into the intermountain west and stuff like that like arizona could not be a state there could not be people living there. Not to say that there was indigenous people who learned how to survive there, but they had a population that was sustained by their resources. Mm-hmm. We couldn't have the numbers we have now. Right. Um, so yeah, our our water is very um, at any point could go. Ooh. Right. <laughs> um, 
the next book actually I'm really excited for because something that we contend with on the podcast is that we are five very similar dudes and I could use all the buzzwords to describe us I might just (laughs) might as well go through it like we're all white cisgender male Um, so we don't want to force diversity like we don't want to have an Asian Cooper or like a black queer Dan well we can't just like start we, we, we want to and are happily going to bring in more people but what we can do is diversify what we read yeah right you know like we can't yeah. we're not gonna we can't just have representatives because it would feel false but what we can do like i yeah diversify what we read and so this next book my roommate i i asked um i asked her i was like i need something that i have never read and would never read because unfortunately my scope is very narrow because i know what i like and i have a hard time straying from that and so she gave me maggie nelson's the argonauts Oh, is that by Maggie Nelson? I totally, I maybe have her I name th- totally wrong, but the Argonauts is the name of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is actually uh, a reading in a lot. I haven't actually read it in any of my classes, but in um, uh, women, gender, sexuality studies, that's a big, a big one. I'm excited because it's our first memoir, which will be exciting. Um, it's hell yeah, good. I'm glad you guys are reading that. Yeah, it'll be. It'll be fun to talk about one. It is Maggie Nelson. Maggie Nelson, okay. Um, again, memoir's fun, and we haven't done one, and it's been a long time since I've met a, read a memoir, especially one that deals with, um, you know, queer identity, gender identity, raising a family, right? I think the whole point is that her non-binary partner has a kid. I think it's something about, like, non-traditional family. Wait, is it not also... S- sci-fi though i thought it was like a sci-fi no i believe it's just a straight memoir oh it's just her experience um and i also heard from my roommate who suggested this that is also controversial within the queer community Mm -hmm. um so that'll be fun to attempt to tackle i guess because that's what the world needs right it's five straight white dudes trying to tackle a controversial queer issue (laughs) we need way more of that our voices are not heard enough in that community yeah that will be really interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear that episode. This this whole book series that we've all picked deals a lot with gender, again, consequentially, and sexuality, because the next book that Phil picked is Sex at Dawn, um, which is a scientific treaty on poly... Um, um, I just was correct on this the other day. Not Amory. I... Not polyg. I think I said polygamy to somebody the other day, oh. but I think it is polyamory. Yep, polygamy implies marriage. Right, and it's generally like one sex with a bunch of the opposite sex. Yeah, Mormon. Mormons. Style. Yeah, it's like child brides. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which would maybe be fun to read on that. I would love to read more on like Waco and all that shit. Um, that's my like dirty little secret is how much I really love cults. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's uncommon. They have, like, those series on Netflix and Hulu about... That is uh, true. I think, yeah, everyone's kind of fascinated by that. And true crime right now is at a huge uptick, (laughs) which is really interesting. I only bring that up because I don't want to sound like a grandpa being like, did you know true crime's at an uptick? But um, I was was reading somewhere um, that countries, and they were, like, looking at uh, Germany 
particularly right before the Third Reich came into power, there was a massive uptake in Germans' fascination with true crime. How did they measure that? By newspaper articles. Again, they didn't have podcasts or TV, but they had like newspaper articles and what was being written in like magazines and stuff. Um, and years before the rise of the Third Reich, there was this like collective fascination with the true crime that happened within Germany and its history, like uncovering like cr- you know like we're doing now, crazy serial killers from eighteen. 18- when it was Germany was only a country in like 1845, so like 1895 or like just exposés on on some sick butcher in Frankenfurt, which I don't know if it's in Germany, um, but and so I think that the I think they just were drawing an interesting correlation because you can couple that with um, the political times we live in now. That's interesting because I would uh, I would assume that like an interest in true crime would come from uh you know a place of like security and maybe like boredom totally and to like you know experience those feelings of like fear in a controlled way which if which could totally be extrapolated to why we're at where we're at now it not only can i get my fear of the unknown and the legitimately terrifying from a podcast, but now I can turn on the news and read about the government shutdown or the pulling out from Syria or the trade war with China. But that's not fun and exciting. No, but it's. Pre- it, I think it creates that sen- same sense of fear, but I'm still secure. Granted, I'm coming from a very. Mm. I'm coming from a point of um, privilege. Um, there's not there's there's quite a few people in this country who don't have that same um, ability as I do to be able to comfortably go to school and class and work uh, and home um, and look at this from afar. Um, but I think for the majority of Americans, there is that security, and that's the fascination with it. I can get my true crime about Jeffrey Dahmer and about Waco, and then turn on the news and get that same chill of like, oh my god, look at these monsters in in D.C. Mm-hmm. And then turn it off and go to my class. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because uh, this sounds so shitty. Maybe I should not air this. We this can totally edit laundry. this. <laughs> I just, when I hear all of these horrific things that are happening in the news, um, obviously I like know that they're horrific, but I, I just, I don't really feel that much. I'm feel so desensitized yeah i'm yeah and like just like oh yep another fucking thing right that's my reaction usually right and i don't know it it doesn't quite feel the same to me as like like broken hearts Mm -hmm. i've (laughs) been listening to those yeah more and just laura and i've been too yeah i don't it's not like sensational necessarily but there's something about like understanding monstrous acts like trying to understand them at least Mm -hmm. that is like a a different feeling that i get from when i hear about shitty things happening in the news i think you're totally right though that it comes from a point of security and safety especially if you yeah it's controlled you can you can turn it off and it's not real anymore and i mean if you look at the numbers statistically 
violence across the globe is at an all-time low. And just speaking more in America, I believe the number still suggests that we're like 500% less violent as a country than we were in like 1995. The U.S.? Yes. How do, mm, like how do I measure that? Just crime statistics, like violent crime statistics. That's really confusing because of the like huge increase in mass shootings. Maybe it's just like different violence. Like how? Yes, there's... how do they define and measure violence exactly? Well, I think any sort of um, uh, reported violent act will then go into this giant statistical analysis. It's just science. It did. It's just science. Um, also, there's so many. Right. So mass shootings are definitely at an uptick. Um, school shootings are higher than ever, though. Not to sound terrible, but the um, scope of what's considered a school shooting is also grown, and so there's a lot of variables now that is included. If you look just the number of school shootings. If somebody shot a gun near a school within the school district, that's a school shooting, even though if it was just in the air, like out of a car, not at anybody. Um, if a crime happened outside of a school, somebody shot somebody else at 9 p.m. on a Saturday, that is considered a school shooting. Um, so I wonder then if it's just like the school shootings we hear about in the media have seem like there are more because they're being covered more and There's same with like other types of violence like coverage definitely is a factor right but yeah i guess i just don't understand how they like measure it as like a, a census type right of thing i think they just look at um crime reports across the country um but i think coverage is a huge thing um and in the case of police brutality it's been amazing right it's it is what has shed light on this issue. It makes you terrified to think of the decades before this one now, to think of the amount of police brutality that went on unchecked and unnoticed. You know, we hear about it so often, but I shiver to think, and again, the black community and other community, like minority communities, for decades have been saying this exact same thing of like oh you mm -hmm. think it's bad like it's always been like this right. you're just now aware of it except body cams and everybody has a camera in their pocket yeah um this is i i mean snl sucks we all know that <laughs> now it sucks but there was that skit with um Chappelle and I think Chris Rock during, on the election, during day. the election day that was when brilliant. all of like the white liberals were like like over time just being like <gasps> What? I can't believe America <laughs> is so racist. Right. And Chappelle, it was, they were just like, uh, <laughs> damn, really? Right, this is surprising. <laughs> but anyways, what, we're supposed to be talking about books or something? We are, I know, and then I, I veered it off because yeah, I love like, talking about terrible things like that yeah. because it makes me wonder <laughs> i think mass shootings is a bright product of the internet and i've heard this before i'm just mimicking the idea that serial killers are kind of going to become obsolete in the digital age hold now hold on hold on serial killers as a byproduct of the internet well no i think the, the byproduct or just the awareness of the, there's going to be a dramatic decrease in serial killers because of the internet because of the technology now it's so much harder to get away with just killing a bunch of people oh okay 
like we are so connected because we're before if you look at serial killers and their success of their success besides some of the few outliers like ted bundy who just like killed in and around his area but most serial killers just killed across state lines even across county lines mm-hmm. where police departments never once talked to each other so two crimes that happened across in two different counties looked identical but none of them would communicate so they would never connect it like oh maybe we this is like the same guy this is like okay i'm gonna just keep <laughs> pointing to outside references but the, i think i'm pretty sure it's a john mulaney bit where he's he's talking about um bank robberies mm-hmm. crimes um a long time ago were just like it was so much easier to get away with it that they like made it they were like proud of it and bragged about it. It mm-hmm. was like an occasion. They would like dress, dress up to rob the bank and like <laughs> declare themselves. Like if they're wondering who did it, you tell them that it was <laughs> right, right. banks in the bank gang. But, yeah. yeah, I guess <laughs> now that people know, there's an easy way to spread information that you think crimes will go down because of that? I think those types of crimes and I think the people who potentially would have committed those types of crimes those secret heinous ones of finding their victims getting out that urge may now have only the recourse of going into a mall and just unloading on people oh I see like they realize that they no longer can get away and again, this gets into a bigger issue of mental illness that I'm not even going to pretend like I understand. Um, but I feel like there's got to be a correlation between people who realize that they can't get away with these thoughts. And so they just got to get it all out in one burst. And that's why we're seeing an uptick in mass murders and not an uptick in serial killers. It, uh, has there been a decrease in serial killer activity? I mean, certainly we haven't seen the nearly close to the record amount that were in the 70s and 80s. Hmm. Which, there's actually another fascinating theory that I love to think about, because the 70s in America were some of the most, like one of the most violent decades that we have in this country, That since we began to measure these things, again, with science. I don't know. I wish I knew. <laughs> um, I'm kind of just, maybe I'm just speaking. I'm, I'm going to totally have a disclaimer. I'm probably just speaking on my ass. But I've heard this theory positive before <clears throat> that the 70s were the had the most number of cars on the road. And that was before they started to use unleaded gas. So it was the most amount of people driving cars with leaded gas. And so the fumes were just lead, toxic lead fumes that people were just constantly being bombarded with. And mm. lead poisoning is a real thing that just kind of makes your brain go a little haywire. And so one theory, it's it's one of those things, right, where it's like causation doesn't necessarily cause correlation. Oh, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a psych major. It's the idea, like, when you look at statistics and you go, oh, ice cream sales are, go up at the same rate as murders do. So therefore... The more ice cream sales go up, the more people kill people. And then you realize, like, well, they both happen during summer. So mm-hmm. it's not ice cream causing more murders. It's heat that causes both more ice cream sales and more murders. But they are not connected. So you think that it's it, there was some kind of reaction with the unleaded gas? I would love to think. people Yes, I would love to, to think others? that. Yeah, I would love to think that there was su- they were suffering from, like, a continental lead poisoning that made people go crazy. Does that feel safer for you? No, but it just... 
it just tickles a part of my brain where I love thinking about the Salem witch trials as being a colossal argot poisoning from like no, rye bread that went bro. bad or like Rome got poisoned from the lead lined aqueducts. Let me let me propose another theory. Please. Please do. Um since you brought up the witch trials as you were You mean the Mueller <laughs> investigation? <laughs> I'm just going to ignore no, that. No, no. <laughs> As you were um, discussing theory about uh, serial killers, mm-hmm. statistically, yeah. men are perpetrators of murder oh, yeah. and women are largely the victims. Oh, yeah. And women were most definitely the victims of the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. I think there was like one guy who was killed as a witch, but... That's it. And he was probably gay. He was probably a gay or witch. Or something. Yeah. But so, I think that it has much more to do with social structure and, and sexism than, like, it would be nice if they were, oh, they were just, like, chemically poisoned. And, right. And their brain don't work so good. Right. Um, but really, I think, it, like, a lot of violence, especially those those two, come down to... Uh, sexism. Oh, I mean, and they were targeted, right? And not not just sexism that that seemed, but like violence towards women. Right, and especially in yeah, not to discredit the violence against women, but in the Salem witch trial, I remember it being more of like a conformity thing, right? It was loose moral women were being targeted, like you said. The one man was not probably no. I mean, it it was a lot of the time women that were educated. Mm. Or women that in any way strayed from a normative womanly role. Right. So, like, women that were educated that were, a lot of the time, like, women couldn't go to medical school. So, women that practiced medicine outside of having a degree, Mm -hmm. witches, okay, um, were prosecuted for that. Right. So, yeah, it's just... (laughs) Good God. Yeah, I don't know if anyone was poisoned. They were just—it's just been so ingrained. No, right. This this theory is more of like <laughs> what, like thinking of it as a, a collective hallucination that was then probably coupled with complete societal conformities and norms, causing these people to do what they thought was normal. Like it's yeah, it's. I mean, it's been such a trend for mm-hmm. most of time. What I think is interesting is the women women who are found out to be serial killers besides the real outliers right like um i wish i remembered her name um monster they made a movie about her she was um a woman who was essentially like a lot lizard who killed men that she would like lure or would it's so it's so tough to talk about because we have her takes on it but she's also known to have lied a lot but it'd be Johns who'd proposition her and then she'd kill them. Mm. Um, which is a very man thing to do. Not the Johnning part, but the way she'd murder them, strangle them, shoot them, mm. is what would be considered normal male behavior Masculine as far as... Masculine, violent yeah. ways. And typically, female serial killers are like um, black widows or... Like these are, again, like colloquial uh, true crime terms. Or like angels of mercy or angels of death. So a lot... Like there's been a number of women who are found to be nurses who just, like, inject older oh. people or sick people with um, drugs that just kill them. That's in, that's also how they categorize um, suicide attempts, like, largely 
um, actual completed suicides are more men. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they choose more violent right. ways of killing themselves, like shooting themselves. Right. Whereas um, women typically choose more um, types of modes as like eating a bottle of pills. Right, ways that could be, if not done right or done wrong, wouldn't lead to death necessarily. Yeah, which right. is really interesting. It is really, I mean, it. it's, I would love to look more into that because as it is a dark topic to look into, but it is staggering the differences between the ways men and women try to kill themselves. And there is a huge difference in the success rate. Men far outweigh the number of women who succeed in killing themselves. Mm-hmm. And it is because the choice of gun or hang, like just sure, even if they tie the knot around, they're still probably going to suffocate and die. And I wonder how much of that is related to um, women being expected to take on the role of caring for children mm-hmm. or being relied on in other maternal ways. And, you know, like mm. uh, in a lot of communities, like matriarchal communities, um, they take care of everyone. Right. Right. Oh, it's such a dark topic, but I think it. How did we get. Here. <laughs> Who the hell am I? I was thinking of a front bottom song. I got into the front bottoms. They're a very emotional modern band. Is that about um, Fupa? Is that the where the title? Oh, maybe. Front bottom Fupa. Yeah, front upper pussy area. Right. I don't know. That'd be insane. If this is like a very sensitive bunch of young men, it'd be crazy if they their name was in reference to Fupa. Seems like... just, that was my immediate <laughs> I would love if one of their shirts just was a drawing of a fupa. Just like, imagine just like a side of ham. <sighs> like if you just like singled out the the fupa. Yeah. Just a, just si- a side of ham. <laughs> just an isolated fupa. I, I imagine a bunch of detectives like looking like, alright, this photo you're looking at now is just an isolated fupa. That's all we have, boys. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Back to books. Um, Wait, can we can we pause for a moment? Yeah, I just I, I gotta go pee again. I know I totally. I'm just gonna bladder. keep it running because I don't know if I can pause it. But that's oh, shoot. You know, I can just Sorry. no. I'll, I'll just that's totally fine.